Exodus chapter 6, starting at verse 2. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am Yahweh. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as El Shaddai, but by my name Yahweh I was not known to them. I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage in which they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am Yahweh. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am Yahweh your God, who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give it to you as a heritage. I am Yahweh. Let's pray. Father, you are Yahweh. You are the Lord. Help us to understand what that name means, to understand that that name means that you are the God who is bigger than all of our problems. That you are the God who transcends neediness. Father, we thank you for your promise to Abraham. We thank you that you fulfilled that in part in Moses' day. That you fulfilled it preeminently in your son Jesus and that the outworking of that fulfillment is at work among us tonight as we gather here to worship your name. Show us yourself, we pray, in the preaching of your word. We ask it in the name of your son, Jesus our Lord. Amen. On the back of your bulletin, you'll find an outline if you're interested in following along. You can see that the structure of our passage zooms in, focuses right in on that name of God. I am Yahweh. It starts the passage at the end of verse 2. It ends the passage at the end of verse 8, and it appears twice in the middle of the passage, in verses 6 and 7. Clearly, that name of God is the emphasis of our text. Moses said in his gripe list last week, you didn't deliver us at all. God's response is to say, Moses This is my name. Here's who I am. Why does God respond that way? Well, the answer seems to be that God actually believes that what we need in cases of pain and suffering is to remember who our God is. That appears to be where the Almighty is coming from. That is, that we need the knowledge of God more than we need the earthly deliverance of God. 
A tough pill to take. Moses says, why haven't you delivered us? And God says, not, here's why I haven't delivered you. Right? Not a good time to cross the desert, Moses. Or whatever other human reason you could come up with. No, God says, this is who I am. God's name, Yahweh, emphasizes that he keeps his promises, especially the promises of deliverance, adoption, and land. But that he keeps them on his own timetable. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am Yahweh. What does the name Yahweh mean? We already saw this in chapter 3. It is the third person, or the first person singular, I am, of the verb of being, transformed into the third person, he is. God says, my name is, he is. Picked up again in the book of Revelation then, where God describes himself as the one who is, who was, and who is, and who is to come. What does it mean for God to say, my name is he who is? My name is being. Well, imagine, if you would, the opposite of this name. What if God had said, I am hunger. I am lack. I am neediness. I am the one who will bless you when my ship comes in. What do those names signify? They signify limitation and dependence. Yahweh signifies the opposite of that. No limitation. No dependence. I am not waiting on conditions to be favorable. I don't need external factors. I am not limited by scarcity or time, or creatureliness, or anything else that limits a human being. That's what the name Yahweh means, the sufficient God. Before this name, in other words, literally every problem withers away and dies. My alma mater invites student parents to come and speak in chapel sometimes if they happen to be preachers. And one of my classmates had a father who was a preacher and he came and spoke in chapel. One of the best chapel sermons I heard during my four years at Patrick Henry College. This fellow got up and he says, do you have problems? Midterms, family problems, paying your tuition." Boyfriends, girl, he listed the problems in a typical college student's life. And he had us all saying, yeah, man, I have a lot of horrible problems. And then he said, how big is your God? And he spent the next 30 minutes preaching on how big our God is. How our God is bigger than all our problems. And at the end of the sermon, he says, do you still have problems? And he had the whole crowd yelling, no! Not a Presbyterian college. (laughs) Do you believe that your problems are bigger than your God? Moses, perhaps, let himself fall into that trap. God, you haven't delivered this people at all. 
God's response is to say, Moses, this is who I am. I am who I am. If you think your problems are bigger than your God, you've got the wrong God. Are your problems infinite, eternal, and unchangeable? Are your needs larger than His fullness? Are your sins larger than His forgiveness? And to ask those questions is to answer them. But our most urgent need, therefore, is not for our problems to go away. Our most urgent need is to know who God is. Right? It's the old Mary Martha thing. Martha says, Jesus, tell my sister to make my problems go away. Jesus says, what your sister knows is what you need to know, that knowing me is better than getting rid of your problems. Your most urgent need, Moses, your most urgent need, congregation, is to know who your God is. So God contrasts his appearance to the patriarchs with his appearance to Moses in verse 3. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as El Shaddai. But by my name, Yahweh, I was not known to them. Well, many biblical commentators have foundered on this rock. How on earth can God say Abraham didn't know the name Yahweh? We just read, for example, Genesis 15, where God says to Abraham, I am Yahweh. And Abraham says to God, O God Yahweh, O Lord Yahweh, what will you give me? Right? The name Yahweh appears hundreds of times in Genesis, including in the mouths of the major characters and in the mouth of God himself. How then can God say that the name Yahweh was not known to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Well, the answer, of course, the obvious answer, is that this is not an absolute contrast, but a relative one. God is saying that they didn't understand the fullness of my character. They knew my name to some extent, but they didn't understand the fullness of what that name means. Moses, you're going to get a better glimpse of who Jehovah is than your forebears did. And surely we can say today, do we yet know the fullness of who God is? Do we know the full implications of his name? No, we know more than Moses did. Moses knew more than Abraham did. God will spend the rest of eternity showing us the riches of the glory of his name. God says, I was El Shaddai. And that name appears many times in Genesis, usually in promises of fruitfulness. Where God says, I will send children. I will give you descendants. El Shaddai is the God who provides. But God is revealing himself not just as El Shaddai, but also as Yahweh. What that means then is that there will be a fuller fulfillment of the covenant promises. God says, I made a covenant with your three ancestors, the patriarchs. We read about the making of that covenant back in Genesis 15, just a few moments ago, where God passed between the pieces and said, may I be like these animals 
if I ever break my promise to you, Abraham. God made that covenant. But the promises were not fulfilled in Abraham's lifetime, in Isaac's lifetime, in Jacob's lifetime. In fact, Canaan was to them a place of pilgrimage. They were strangers there. God draws this contrast between Canaan being a place where the patriarchs were strangers, and then in verse 8, he says, Canaan will be a possession. When I've finished keeping my covenant with you, you'll belong in Canaan. So the land promise is the first element that God emphasizes there. I put myself on the line to keep my promises to your ancestors, the patriarchs. May also, God promises deliverance from Egyptian bondage. Moses presenting problem. Moses is not coming to God saying, hey, we haven't had the promised land. Moses is still stuck on, we are in Egyptian bondage. We are making bricks without straw. We are in a really bad spot. So God says, I have heard the groanings of the children of Israel. We saw that all the way back in chapter 2, that God heard their groanings. Because God heard their groanings, he's argued with Moses at the burning bush for a chapter and a half. He's sent Moses to deliver the people. Moses has gone into Pharaoh in the last chapter and made the opening, fired the opening shots. And Moses then at the end of chapter 5 is despondent. It hasn't worked. We're still in Egypt. So God repeats, I heard your groaning. I know your problems. I know your pain. Brandon, if you're in pain tonight, it's easy to speak to God and say, it hasn't worked. I'm still in pain. I thought you were the God who delivers. God simply repeats, I know your pain. I'm working on it. Say to the children of Israel, I am Yahweh. Again, what's the first thing that the children of Israel and Egyptian bondage need to hear? Not, he's working on it. Not, we'll get out of here eventually. That is part of the promise, but that's not what Moses is supposed to lead with. Moses needs to lead with, this is your God. Do you have problems? Are your problems bigger than the God that you serve? So tell them who I am. I am Yahweh. I will bring you out. I will rescue you. I will redeem you. God uses three verbs to describe what he will do in getting them out of Egypt. So to bring out, obviously a territorial reference. Out from under the burdens. You're a slave. Your job is to carry heavy loads. God will let you throw that load to the ground. Walk away erect. Again, it's secondary to knowing his name. The rescue is for the sake of knowing the name. Not the name for the sake of the rescue. I'll rescue you. From their bondage. 
Not something the children of Israel will do for themselves. They are, in a sense, helpless victims. But God will come and save them out of that. He will redeem them. And this word redemption becomes something of a key word in Exodus, codified in later Israelite law in terms of the kinsman redeemer. One who had the responsibility to restore someone who had fallen on hard times. God purchases his people out of Egyptian bondage. So he says, I will deliver you. And he gives them three different ways in which he'll do that. Bring you out, rescue you, redeem you. Just like we saw in the description of baptism in our doctrinal standards. Salvation is so multifaceted that there are many different ways of describing it in the Bible and in Christian books. So, this deliverance from Egypt is so multifaceted that there are many ways of describing it. Bring you out, rescue you, redeem you. But not only that. God doesn't say, I'll bring you out, I'll sign the Emancipation Proclamation, and then drop you. Okay, you're free. Find a place to sleep tonight. We've talked about this before with God's promises. He doesn't do that. He not only brings them out of the negative, but into the positive. I will take you as my people. And I will be your God. This is the key formula of the covenant. It appears 60-some times in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. Last occurrence in Revelation 22, right at the very end, God himself will be with them as their God. Now why is that important? Why these possessive pronouns? You will be my people, I will be your God. Well, you can ask your Muslim friends whether they can say, Allah is mine. Or your Hindu friends, whether they can say, Brahma is mine. Now, my understanding of the teachings of these religions is that they can't say that. That that's not a part of their religious vocabulary. There is no mutual claiming of the people, the worshiper, and the deity. Allah doesn't belong to the Muslim, but Jesus belongs to the Christian. God makes this promise, then, of mutuality. Not just, you will be my people, but I will be your God, the God who is for you, the God who is in covenant with you, the God who promised to deliver you and will never let that promise go. Jesus leaned heavily on this language, for example, in his dispute with the Sadducees. They were mocking the resurrection in front of him with their silly example about the, man was, or the woman with seven husbands. And Jesus said to them, what did Scripture say? God appeared to Moses and said, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but God of the living. Therefore, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will rise again. Now, what did Jesus build his argument on? It was all on that possessive pronoun, that of, the God of Abraham, the God 
who belongs to Abraham. Abraham's God. If God actually belongs to Abraham, then he will not let Abraham languish and rot in the grave. There will be a resurrection because of this possessive language. Because God is your God and you are his people. That's what the beaten down, ground down, bricks without straw making children of Israel needed to hear. I will be your God. I will belong to you. And you will belong to me. Not just a promise of deliverance, but a promise of adoption. Which leads into knowing God as Redeemer. Then you will know that I am Yahweh your God, who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. God started with, I am Yahweh. But he appends to that now, Yahweh means Redeemer. Yahweh means the one who solves your problem of Egyptian bondage. In other words, to know who our God is is not to give up on the solution to our problems. Is not to say, well, I guess I'll be a slave forever. Well, I guess I'll be sick forever. Well, I guess I'll be stuck in bad circumstances, poverty, chronic pain, broken relationships forever. But it is a reprioritization, right? That the main thing in my life is not this pain, is not this relationship, is not this financial problem. The main thing in my life is the identity of my God. Who is the God who redeems? Who is the God who promises to save me from what's wrong? So God promises to give them a land of their own. A place to live. You're slaves here. You won't be slaves where I'm taking you. Instead... I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a possession. Right? Four verbs describing what, or three verbs describing what God does. I will bring you into, corresponding to the I will bring you out of Egyptian bondage. It's not I'll bring you out and then you will find a place. No, I'll bring you out and I'll bring you in to your forever home. I raised my hand. I swore an oath to give it. Can you compel God to swear an oath? No, right? If God is taking an oath, he's doing so voluntarily. But he specifically mentions raising his hand in an oath to give it to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And therefore, to their descendants. So the final word is God's generosity. I will give it to you and you'll possess it. Moses was upset. God, where is your deliverance? God's response is, Moses, all you need is to know me as the generous, life-giving, land-giving God. Do you believe that? 
And is that what you know your God to be? The generous God who gives land and who gives life. How do we know that he's telling the truth? Well, because he put his signature on this. That's how he closes it out. I am Yahweh. You want to know who I am? You want to know whether you can trust these promises? Here you go. (coughs) Excuse me. Because God has signed his name to this, it's absolutely firm and trustworthy. Believe it. Know that he is the one who will deliver you. (coughs) If you don't see the deliverance, well, what you do see is Jesus. The one in whom all God's promises are yes and amen. If you know him, your problems are temporary. But your joy is eternal. Let's pray. (coughs) Heavenly Father, we praise you for your promise that you are Yahweh. Lord, help us to know that that's what we need. Help us to understand that your promise, that your name is bigger than our problems. Thank you for your signature and for the signs you give that you are telling the truth, for the seals that you put on your promises to save us. We praise you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.